0: This is a GRDC podcast.
1: Spring frosts, rain and even a cold winter will not see the end of the current mice plague. That's the bleak warning for grain growers from CSIRO's Authority on Mouse Behaviour and Management, Steve Henry. While southern Queensland and northern New South Wales have seen the worst of the plague, mice are also of concern to growers in Victoria, South Australia and Western Australia. Hello, I'm Tony Crowley. As many western and southern region grain growers start preparations for sowing this year's winter crops, there are still a few areas in the eastern state's northern region where late sown summer crops such as sorghum are still standing. And in today's podcast, we'll hear about the challenges facing growers yet to harvest and those needing to plan a pre-sowing mouse-baiting strategy. First, with an assessment of the situation around the country Here's CSIRO's Steve Henry.
0: What we've been seeing now for the last, uh, well, probably three months now, are higher than normal mouse numbers throughout um, most of the the northern cropping zone. So around the Darling Downs and down through northern New South Wales, mice numbers are particularly high. Um, And in some cases, we would be describing it as a a fully-fledged plague. And then as you move further south into central new south wales while mouse numbers are still really high they're not at that full-blown plague level and but they're still a manifest some significant concern Um, and then as you push further south through the cropping zone yes numbers remain high and what we're saying to farmers is you need to be really vigilant now in the lead up to sowing the winter crops to make sure you know what's going on in your paddocks so you can be prepared to deal with mice when you sow your crops.
1: Now, as we're recording this podcast in early March, there are still some sorghum crops in uh, some parts of southern Queensland or northern New South Wales. Some of these crops are at the flowering stage or getting ready for harvest. What should growers do when it comes to thinking about uh, strategies for mouse control or mouse management?
0: Yeah, so this is a really difficult situation to deal with. Um, particularly if the mice have already been getting into those heads and knocking a lot of food onto the ground. Um, and that makes the um, the baiting of those mice more difficult because the the bait that we put out becomes diluted essentially with all of the other food in the system It becomes difficult to find. And so the mice become really difficult to control. Um, I guess the best thing for for farmers to do is, is seek advice from their agronomists about the best way to get that crop through to harvest, remembering that those mouse numbers aren't likely to decline any time soon. And so, you know, they need to be making some or getting the best advice they can to make decisions about um, getting the best out of those crops, unfortunately.
1: You were talking about grain on the ground and for those growers who've already harvested and there's been some grain lost during harvest, Um, the figures can be quite amazing as to how much grain there is per square metre and and how that compares to how much bait you would put out per square metre.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's one of the things that we've been talking about um, a lot recently is creating um, an unfriendly environment for mice in these paddocks. And if you get a scenario where there's um, a tonne of grain on the ground per hectare and And that sounds like a lot, but it's actually not all that uncommon. Uh, The last two years in a row in the Wimmera, they've had wind events that have put exactly that much and more than that on the ground. And that equates, if it's a tonne to the hectare on the ground, that equates to 2,200 grains per square metre. Now, when we put out zinc phosphide bait, we put it out at one kilogram per hectare, which is three grains per square metre. So if those three grains per square metre are competing with 2,200 other grains per square metre for the attention of the mouse, then that makes those toxic grains significantly more difficult to find.
1: How does a grower contend with that though? I mean, how do you try to reduce that food source?
0: I've been a little bit surprised as I've been talking to farmers over the last few weeks. Um, A couple of years ago, almost nobody had sheep in their system, but now. There are a lot more farmers that have sheep to graze stubbles, and they're a really good way of of either the sheep eat eat the grain that's lying on the ground or in the action of moving through the paddock, they're actually pushing a lot of grains into the soil surface so that when it rains, it's germinating more readily. Um, So we've got sheep taking the grain, physically taking the grain out of the paddock. But also when we get these rainfall events through the summertime and we get a really good germination, then if get, farmers get in and spray that germination out, it's a great way of getting rid of all of that food.
1: Now, how important is monitoring and, and use of tools like chew cards to plan your baiting strategy?
0: Yeah, look, it's absolutely critical that farmers get out and go for a walk in their paddocks um, probably two months to six weeks ahead of sowing so that they know what's going on in those paddocks. You know, I hear lots of farmers say, I drove across the paddock and I didn't see any any sign of mice. Well, yeah, they're probably still there because in zero and no-till cropping systems, these stubbles are, you know, have got a lot of vegetable matter in them and all of that standing stubble and, and what we call trash on the ground actually hide the signs of mouse activity. So you've got to get out, go for a walk, And there's a couple of ways that you can then monitor what's going on in the paddock. So you can walk 100 metre long transects along furrow lines and actually um, count the number of active burrows for 50 centimetres either side of the central line. And that gives you a a number of active burrows per 100 square metres. And then you can just multiply that up to, to get active burrows per hectare. And then if you make an assumption about the number of mice per burrow and say it's two, then if you've got 100 um, burrows per hectare and there's two mice per burrow, then you're up at 200 mice per hectare and that would be starting to be a little bit concerning. Uh, Another way of doing it is to use mouse chew cards and just soak the chew cards in oil and set them out at 10 metre intervals at varying places in the paddock and go back the next day and see how much of the cards has been eaten. I think it's important to use a combination of both methods because if there's a lot of food, other food on the ground and you're putting chew cards on the ground, sometimes the mice are a little bit reluctant to take those chew cards. And so that count of active burrows gives you a better indication in that scenario.
1: Before we talk more about the baiting, what about the use of cultivation or a stubble burn to try and reduce your mouse problem or certainly a food source?
0: Uh, Cultivation and and stubble burning are things that don't marry very well with zero and no-tilt farming systems, and so we would never tell farmers to change their system to deal with the mice. If they were in a scenario where the the stubble was too thick to sow through, and so that they had decided to burn the stubble to reduce that trash load well then there's a golden opportunity to put out bait after the the stubble's been burned because you've removed all of that food and shelter um, and you won't have killed the mice with the fire because we know their burrows are deep enough to protect them but after the fire's gone through and you've spread bait the mice pop up on the surface they're looking for, for food and and their environments change so much so they're ranging around, there's a really good chance then that they'll encounter the bait more readily than than in the previous scenario. Um, Similarly with cultivation, you know, when you're gone through and if you've decided to cultivate the paddock, um, that the act of cultivating has buried a lot of the residual food that's in the paddock. Then if you were to spread bait straight off After you've cultivated, then as mice break out of their burrows, because again, a single cultivation isn't going to destroy burrows or kill mice. And so once they break out of those burrows, the first thing they find on the surface is the freshly spread bait. And you've got a really good chance of getting good uptake of
1: bait. As you said earlier, the next consideration really is, is sowing. And so what is the recommended lead time to bait before sowing?
0: We've got a a couple of approaches that we like to talk about. And the first one is that if if you've been out monitoring and you think you have really, really high numbers of mice, then do an application six weeks out from sowing. And the reason we say to do that is because in any application of bait, you won't kill all of the mice and some of the mice will get what we call um, a sublethal dose and means that they'll, they'll get a part dose, they'll feel quite sick, and they'll become what we call beta verse They'll stop taking the bait. Now, we know some, from some research that we've done in the lab that as soon as mice get a sublethal dose, they stop eating the bait straight away and they don't take it again until they're forgotten about the effects of that sublethal dose. So we're saying six weeks out, do your first application. That gives mice a chance, the mice that get a sublethal there's a chance to forget about that, those um, effects of the, of the bait. And then when you're sowing the crop six weeks later, if you've still got mice present at that point, put bait out straight off the back of the cedar. And again, in the act of sowing the crop, you get some soil throw. A lot of that residual food will be buried. The bait goes out onto the top of that f- freshly turned over soil as the mice come out to look around after the cedar has been through. The bait's the first thing they find, rather than the freshly sown crop.
1: And talking of baits, is zinc phosphide really the only recommended bait?
0: Uh, absolutely, it's not just the only recommended bait; it's the only bait that farmers are are allowed to use in this um, broad scale application. And so, it's critically important that they um, adhere to all of the recommendations on the label and use it appropriately.
1: If a grower thinks they can mix their own zinc-phosphide bait, is that desirable?
0: No, no. Growers, growers shouldn't be trying to make their bait of any kind whatsoever. It's imperative that they only buy the commercially available bait so that they ensure that they get bait with the right dose of zinc-phosphide on it and that they have the best chance of getting effective control.
1: In other do's and don'ts, should growers avoid mixing baits with anything else, such as uh, say they have snails as well, or or with a fertilizer like urea? Yes, we
0: we, we just heard a, a really interesting story from a, uh, a person who's an expert in controlling snails, and um, they, he was adamant that we that you shouldn't mix snail bait and mouse bait, and we had been saying the same thing, and we've been saying put your mouse bait out first because our concern was that mice would scurry around and eat the snail bait and start to feel sick and then not touch any of the zinc phosphide. And so you were increasing the chances of mice becoming bait-averse. This snail researcher was telling us that they had done some research where um, they had spread snail bait in the presence of mice and the mice had scurried around and eaten all the snail bait before the snails got a chance to get out and get the snail bait. So it significantly reduced the efficacy of the snail bait and the mice probably weren't going to touch zinc phosphide after they'd eaten the snail bait because they'd eaten something that was a bit novel and they thought, well, no, I don't feel too good. Um, and so a bad result in both cases. So if you've got mice and snails, mouse bait first, reduce the number of mice, snail bait second, you should get a good result for both in terms of mixing it with urea and and other products because of the issues with the mouse bait rubbing against the other product in the spreader and what happens in this scenario is the actually the zinc phosphide gets rubbed off the surface of the grain and so essentially what you're what you're putting out into the paddock is a low dose, and you are actually enhancing the chances of mice becoming betaverse by by essentially putting out sublethal doses into the paddock. Um, you can go pretty fast when you're spreading, a, when spreading zinc phosphide, so it's much better to do it as a standalone operation than try and combine it with other things, unless you're spreading off the back of the cedar which is a really good way to do it because as you're sowing the crop, you're spreading your bait, uh, either through one of the commercially available mouse bait spreaders or through the small seeds box of the uh, air seeder. Um, And you can crank the rate back low enough to put the mouse bait out through the small seeds box as you sow the crop. So they're both really good ways of getting an accurate dose of zinc phosphide into the paddock.
1: If a rain event is forecast... Should baiting be avoided?
0: Yes, absolutely. So while zinc phosphide relies on uh, being converted to phosphine in the acid environment in the mouse's stomach, we know that if it gets wet, there's potential for it to start to convert the phosphide to phosphine. Um, and so that means that the bait becomes less effective. So if you've got a forecast of significant rain, and uh, I don't think there'd be any farmers that would be concerned about that, um, maybe just hold off that baiting application till after that rain front's gone through. It, you know, generally it's only a couple of days, and then get out and spread the bait and um, be ensured that the bait actually has some longevity in the paddock and give the mice the best chance of finding that lethal dose.
1: Has there been any report of uh, there being a, a shortage of mouse bait from suppliers or, to your knowledge, are suppliers readily available?
0: So we're not hearing of any shortages at the moment, uh, but we're, uh, there's a demand is going to ramp up over the next six or eight weeks in the lead up to sowing. So what we're saying to farmers is get out and monitor your paddocks, decide whether you think you're going to need to spread mouse bait, and make sure you're talking to your bait suppliers early so that they can ensure supply. So it means that they'll be talking to the bait manufacturers um, and ensuring that there is enough product made so that we can deal with this outbreak.
1: Is there any hope that once we hit winter, uh, it'll be the end of this mouse problem?
0: Uh, that's that's a tough one. The end of a mouse outbreak is always very difficult to predict. Uh, people talk about frost killing mice and... Um, and you know, wet weather killing mice. Uh, but basically, if there's food and shelter and moisture in the system, uh, mice will continue to survive. Um, as, as it gets really, really cold, it might stop their breeding, um, but not not necessarily uh, kill all the mice in the system. And again, one of the concerns um, going into the winter with a really high number of mice, is that we'll get higher than normal overwinter survival of of mouse populations, and then that provides a higher than normal starting point for breeding next spring. And if the conditions are favourable and they start from that higher population level and they start early, then we could uh, and the season is good enough, we could end up in the same situation again next year.
1: Steve, thanks for talking to us. That's been a pleasure, Tony. the CSIRO's Steve Henry and the mouse problem is far from over. Steve was in South Australia when we recorded that podcast as he continues to make his way around the nation's grains belt assessing mouse populations. The good news is $4.1 million is being injected into mouse control research by the GRDC. And for the latest National Mouse Report, tips on mouse control and links to other mouse management resources, search Mouse Control on GRDC's website. Links are also in this podcast's show notes. I'm Tony Crowley. Thanks for listening.